So we have a great, great father. Tom started with uh, Psalm 107, and it's where I was going to go, and I had to cut a lot of it out, but it was just to really, we need to praise Adonai. We need to thank him. He is our father. Today's Father's Day, and we love the fathers, and we honor every single father here. Fathers are kind of shoved under the rug sometimes, and they really are the backbone of the family, especially a believing father, somebody who loves the Lord and is moving in his ways. We should never take, never take them for granted. And those who will be fathers and those who are spiritual fathers, it's all the same. There's something very special about the man of God, right? And we want to always appreciate them. But today I wanted to, I wanted to really talk about our Father in heaven. And to get there, I had to delete so much stuff. I said to my husband yesterday, I just don't have it together. And he's like, you had enough time. <laughs> so it wasn't like I didn't have enough time, but it was just trying to formulate it so it was glorifying to God and that I didn't jump all over and just give him the glory and give him the praise. And how blessed we are. His blessings are upon us. The goodness of God is upon us. And he is a, a father who disciplines. And he is a father who lets the refiner's fire come. But it's because he loves us and he's good to us. And we are his children, the sheep of his pasture. And we need to know that and understand it always so that we don't go into times of, of up and down, that we are steady in our relationship with Father God. And I had so much in my heart to share, I gave it four different titles, or five. The goodness of God, the power of his word, the promise of his word, knowing the ways of God, and eating at his table. Eating at the master's table. So um, they're probably, I'm going to leave it to Mariah to figure that out. But the Father's heart has always been, well, I just want to pray for one second. I just don't want to get ahead of myself. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you were with us. You are still with us here. I thank you, Lord, as we declare your name, the angels are declaring with us. I thank you as we worship you, Lord, the angels are worshiping in heaven. They are not there and we are here. We are together. We are one. We are your children, Lord God, and you love us and you delight in us. You smile at us, Lord. You encourage us. You love us. And I just want to thank you, Father, and I pray that your word would have full effect in our hearts, that you would take my weakness and my my inability to articulate what you put in my heart and bring it into the hearts and the minds of your people, your sons and your daughters. In Jesus' name, amen. In Genesis 17, the covenant was made with Abraham, and the first thing he said to Abraham is, I am God Almighty. That was the most important thing to know. I am God Almighty. And then he says, we're not going to go through the whole covenant, don't worry, <laughs> but he says to him, he, he, he specifically tells him some certain things, and at the end, he, at the end of it, he says, but you will walk before me and be perfect and blameless all the days of your life. And so we have a father who loves us and disciplines us. He wants us to receive his goodness, but he wants us to be perfect and blameless, which is beyond our control. But he's doing a work in us today and forever. So he, then he gives him a promise. If you do this, I am your God, I am God Almighty, and you need to be perfect and blameless. He says the promise will be that I will exceedingly, abundantly bless you and your children. Isn't that an amazing God? He's a faithful father. So the father's heart has always been and still is to have a people who become his children those who love his ways, those who love his commandments, those who continue to seek him, trust him when he is silent, believe in him when we do not understand. He looks for faith in our hearts because it's there that we start reflecting his glory. It's there that we 
please him and start to grab hold of what has what seems to be out of our reach he allows it because he is teaching us his ways and increasing our faith every father wants their children to reflect them if they've raised them right every father wants to see themselves in their children and mothers too but there's something about a father trains and disciplines and and directs and we think is anything ever going to happen for the good for these preteens or teenagers or mid-20s whatever they are 40 year olds and yet god is his word is established in heaven raise a child in the way they shall go and in the way that they should and they will never depart and then they become like you they start to speak like you they start to teach their children the same things they didn't want to hear you say so our father in heaven wants us to reflect his glory that's what he wants to see he wants to see himself inside of our hearts and our minds he wants to hear when we speak his words coming out of our mouth Hebrews 11:6 says, but without faith it's impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who will diligently seek him. He wants us not to just believe in him but to know that if you believe in me, put your trust in me, I'm going to reward you. I'm going to answer you. You're following me what you're my ways. Don't worry, have peace in the process because his word is settled in heaven and it will come to pass that as we diligently seek him he will reward us and openly it says of Moses in Psalm 103 6 to 7 the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed and then it says this in verse 7 he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel and there lies the difference between a, a people who want to know him and a people that just want from him right we want to know his ways Moses cried out to know his ways Moses sought him diligently. He cried out to know him more and to understand his ways. In 33, 13 of Exodus, Moses says to, to the father, if it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways. And he's testing the Lord. If it's really true, you say you're favorably toward me, then I need more of you. We can ask him of those things. Let me know your ways so that I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor and remember that this nation is your very own people. So if I'm going to lead them, I need to know about you. I need to know not just your commandments. I need to know your character. I need to know your heart. I need to know what is behind the things that you are telling us to do. And he needed to teach those things. So Moses was just as desirous to know him, his character, his thoughts, as he was to see his power. And he was willing to do it God's way. In Exodus 33, 18 through 19, it's at 19, it says, he continues, and he said, please show me your glory. He wanted, again, he wanted more of his presence, his glory. In the NLT, in verse 19 says, the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name. Yahweh. He declared his name. There's something powerful about the declaration, the words that we speak, like his word is established in heaven. The father said, I will proclaim my name and I will reveal to you my character. All my goodness will be revealed to you. And that's not just for Moses. It's for us today. He answers his prayer and declares who he is. He declares his ways. In Exodus 34, 5 through 7 in the NLT, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his name, his own name, Yahweh. 
the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out Yahweh. Isn't that, you know, just his name alone was a revelation to Moses. He thought it was just words. He just thought it was a, a particular sound, but Yahweh may, means so much more. His name has meaning. His name has depth. He says, I am the Lord, the one who brings all things into existence. I am a God of compassion and mercy. There it is, right? He's not condemning. He challenges us. He purifies us. But he's a God of compassion and mercy. He says, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish, lavishly, unfailing, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. Isn't that powerful? When we become believers, we need to see through to the future to our children's 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 children that they would be blessed and, and that we would one day all be together in the Lord, with the Lord. He said, I lavish my unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. He, he forgives all those things. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and their grandchildren. But there's a way for us to walk before him that that would not be our future. That is not our future here. But he was making it clear to Moses, this is true, but this is also true. So come on into my house. Come on into where I am. Follow my ways. The entire family is affected, even children, to the third and the fourth generation. Think about that for your children. You are not just giving them examples of Christ and praying with them. You, into the future, you are blessing the generations to come. The Lord's blessing is upon them. You can do research of people and men and women of God and look at their families and the generational line of, of God's blessing that continues to flow. I am just so grateful that he saved me. I'm so grateful he saved my husband. I'm so grateful that those things ended and the goodness of God is on our life and upon our children and our children's children and those that are to come. The choosing of his ways, though, is what it's about. Moses knew the ways of God. The choosing of his ways brings life not only to us individually, but to the generations to come. He wants to be compassionate to us, forgiveness and mercy for his children. He's not quick-tempered. He's not short-fused. He long, he is long-suffering with a lot of G's, I put. He's long-suffering. We think, oh, this time I've really done it, right? Or this time he's not going to hear me. This time he's not going to answer me. When am I going to overcome, you know, this area of my life? But he's long-suffering. He sees a heart that wants to follow his ways, and we have to be like that with others. The love that he has is generous. He gives unfailing love. He doesn't stop to think you don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. He's generous in all he does. And he is in every circumstance of our life. He is a good, good father, a faithful father, and a righteous, loving father. How anybody could serve any other God is beyond my understanding. When it talks about his compassion and mercy, I heard Jonathan Kahn say this. There are a number of words in the Hebrew Bible that you cannot, singul that you cannot say singularly. They're only plural. They don't, they don't translate in our English Bible. So one of them is mercy. God has mercy. But in the Hebrew, it says, I can't say it like him, but it says rakamin, means mercy. And that is tra translated always mercies, plural, his mercies. He doesn't know a singular mercy. He's not going to give you mercy one day and not the next. When he says, I am a God of mercy, he's saying, I'm a God of mercies. But the word, so... But the word for God's love and mercy is plural, meaning however much sin we have, there is more love and more mercies to cover it. 
if we would call on his name. But the word sin, interestingly enough, is singular, right? He just, it's singular, but his mercies. I just thought that was a good little side note. So Moses was being taught the character of Yahweh. Knowing this should always cause us to want more of him. We can trust him. We don't have to fear punishment because we're coming to our father. The word tells us that Yahweh was grieved with the children of Israel because they knew his acts, but not his ways. They knew of him, but they didn't know him, and they didn't want to learn more from him. They did not want to follow his commandments. This actually says that they wouldn't even listen to him. Psalm 95, 8 through 10 says, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart like they did in the desert. For they tried me for 40 years. I was grieved with that generation. And I said, it's a people who go astray in their hearts. They do not know my ways. It's always been for the Father for us to know his ways. The children of Israel saw those mighty acts, but they could not give themselves to them. They, they still wanted to do things their way. He gave the commandments to Moses to teach the people his ways, but their hearts were fickle and their hearts turned away from him. They wanted Moses to draw near to him, and they wanted just to experience the salvation, the deliverance. They were delivered from Egypt. That's what they wanted. They didn't want to be purified in the wilderness, but that's not us. I just want to amplify how he's a good God to those who are his. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love is tied to obedience and reverence. John 14 in the NLT says, those who accept my commandments, and that's in the, this is in the New Testament. There are commandments in the New Testament. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me, and because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each one of them. So we are possessed by God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the power of his Holy Spirit. He's changing his church and bringing us into perfection because he said they shall be perfect for I am perfect. Um, I just want to read something in Matthew 5 here for one second. Um, did I write the reference down? He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's, this is Jesus speaking. And he had given them all different kinds of uh, areas to follow in their life. He says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. To be a son and a daughter of our Father in heaven is to follow his ways. And then he says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do, you not, do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet your own brothers, what more do you have? Therefore, in verse 48, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. When you read that, you think, how is that ever possible? By the spirit of the living God, it is possible. If you look at your life, what you were before, and you look at your life now, you see that it's definitely possible. You see the change in your life. But the commandment is still the same today through the blood of Jesus Christ. The Father is still saying, you shall be perfect because my Father in heaven is perfect. Hebrews 3, it said, do not harden your hearts. We don't want to harden our hearts like they did in the wilderness in the day of their rebellion. They refused to do what I told them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will not enter my rest. And in Hebrews 3.12, to bring it into the New Testament, Paul says this, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. Turning away from the living God, you must warn each other every day while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as we did when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. 
That's a very powerful scripture, and it's a, it's a directive that we need to follow. We need to encourage each other every day. Keep following Jesus. I know you're angry, but do not sin. I know you don't want to forgive, but you need to forgive. I know you don't want to give, but you need to be generous. We need to follow the Father's heart. We need to mirror his heart. And so we need to believe. We need to have faith. We can't lose our faith in God. We have to have faith in God. And so even they had an unbelieving heart that God could do anything for them and bring them all the way through. That's not going to be us. The best way to honor our Father is to have faith rooted in our hearts and to obey him. To know him is to know his heart, his ways, his promise towards his children. He's faithful to, in all that he does. His life should be seen in us, and he is committed to working himself in us. He is the creator of all creation, the one who formed the earth and all it contains, who gave us life. He breathed his breath within us, and through the sacrifice of his son, he has made, his ha- made us his habitation. We are his habitation. He leads us. He feeds us. His mercies, plural, are new every morning. There is none like him, nor will there ever be anyone like him. Moses heard him proclaim his ways. I am compassionate. I am merciful. I am slow to anger. I am full of love for you. It will never fail you. And so those are his ways. As our father, he wants us to receive the goodness he has and to stand in his righteousness, his purity and character and truth and light. He wants us to draw near and to learn of him. Just as Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, knowing his ways in the Old Testament, knowing his ways in the New Testament will bring peace if we follow, if we surrender, if we yield. And he will cause us to yield. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, it might feel heavy to you. It might feel like you're not going to come through, but just trust in his strength, trust in his power. As we, as we yield to his ways, letting his commandments become our walk, letting his word wash over us and change us, then he is honored in our life. And we want to bring him honor, not just on Father's Day, but we want to bring him honor all the days of our life. He favors us. Our lives testify of him, and then he is glorified. He desires purity within our hearts and minds. In Malachi 3, it says this, starting in verse 1, I think it's the New King James, I'm not sure. <laughs> Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. And why? That they may, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. It's that purity that comes after a, a pure vessel. And it's a good thing when he comes with his refiner's fire. He comes as a refiner's fire, and we know that the metals are heated and melted, and they melt and they they pull off the dross, right? And the impurities are scooped out. But it's interesting that there's a dramatic moment when the refiner knows that the silver or gold is ready and all the dross is removed. He peers over the silver, and it suddenly becomes a liquid mirror in which the image of the refiner is reflected in it. Then he knows his task is done. 
That is so powerful to me. He won't stop until that task is done, that he can see himself in us. And we are getting there. We are, we are pure silver to him as we yield our life to him. He's looking for himself in us because he's jealous for us. It's not just because he wants a shiny piece of silver, a shiny you know, image, because he's a, a, an egotistical God. It's because he loves us and he wants his habitation to shine out of us and that he would be glorified and we would be blessed. A fuller was a person whose occupation was to clean, whiten, lighten, bleach, thicken, shrink, or dye cloth. The process usually included washing with lye, which is called fuller soap, and cleansed by pressure. So when we go through the pressure of life, we are actually becoming purified. We are being a bride made ready. We are refined through the pressures of, many, of life many times. In its, it's in this process that we learn to surrender all to him, and we learn to trust him in everything. The pressure brings the new wine. It brings the increase of his spirit. It increases our faith, and Christ is formed in us. We reflect his ways, we speak his word, and we glorify his name. So the refining is good, right? The refiner's fire represents the transformative work of Christ the Messiah in our lives. He comes with his word and teaches us, pulling out the tares and impurities in our hearts and minds. It says he purifies the sons of Levi, who we are. We are priests in the kingdom of God. Those are the priests, those were the priests, and he comes to his people to transform them in his image and likeness so his kingdom will reign within them and through them that they might offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. He wants us to bring the offering to him in a, in a place of righteousness. Then he's glorified because we can never do it ourselves. When Jesus came the first time, his messenger was sent ahead of him in the vo with the voice of John the Baptist crying out in the wilderness, make straight, make straight paths for the glory of the coming of the Lord. Mark 1.3 says, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The refining process makes room in our hearts. We're clearing the road for him. And we know this. I know you know this. But it's such a powerful truth to understand that we are always in the process of his loving hand. We are in the master's hand. So in the, in the refining process, we're making room in our hearts for the coming of the Lord, who will suddenly come back for his church, for a bride prepared and made ready, right? His refiners, fire, purified, those who would receive him, they changed course and they returned. That's what it's all about. The Lord is always saying, come on back, come on home. There's people that aren't in great sin, but the worries and the cares of the world cause them to turn from the Father. They're no longer sitting at his table. They're no, more, they're no longer eating his food and drinking his wine, right? So even in that, we're not sinners here, you know, but we are people that sometimes don't sit long enough at the table of the Lord. So his refiner's fires purifies them, and they make, it makes them return. In our time, the time of the end, Jesus will again come suddenly. The cry is the same, prepare his coming, prepare for his coming. He, we need to be found without spot or wrinkle. That's what Jesus said. He's coming for a bride without spot or wrinkle. I'm not in a good condition physically, I mean, not in the natural, but I hope that my inner being would be without spot or wrinkle. 
Um, he has given us the way to stay on course, and it's found in the power of his word. The refiner's fire and the fuller soap are found in his word. That's how he's cleansing us today. His word will refine us, and it will cleanse us. In Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, it says this, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Paul instructs husbands to love their wives, but the next couple verses, he makes a comparison of Christ and his church. It holds a message for every single believer, male and female. It instructs us in the power of the word and the power of our Savior. Many times we stop there in females, and we're like, well, this does not apply to me. It very does apply to us. It is, it is a truth, and he uses Christ as an example. All he says to the husbands is love your wives, but then he shows us what Christ did for us. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. That's what he's looking for. He's not because he wants a... Um, a fashion model and all their perfection, but he wants our inner man, our inner being to trust him, to love him, to be compassionate and follow after him. It's a high standard and his spirit within us is able to do the work that the, only the Lord can accomplish because his word is settled in heaven and what he said will be done will be done. He actually said that the work that I started in you will be completed. Didn't have time for all those verses, but we know what they are. You can hear them coming up in your heart as I'm speaking because those words are true and that's his word. It's settled in heaven and he's not going to stop doing that work within us. So the word washes us like fuller soap. It removes the spot and wrinkles. It instructs us, showing us the ways of God. We adjust to its demands. We don't, we don't change it for our, for, uh, for our good or for what our opinion is or what we think. We go, oh, I didn't know I had to stop being mean. Or, oh, I didn't know I had to give more. Oh, I didn't know. You know, you know all these things that we, we say we don't know. But we adjust to them because we want to be holy as he is holy. We need to love one another, forgive one another, give generously. These are just small examples that we know. We need to speak blessings. We need to go the extra mile. We need to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We need to cry out to him, Lord, change us and make me more like you. We read these words and so many others, and we should, we should stop and say as we're reading them, Lord, help me to love, help me to forgive, help me to sacrifice and serve you. Change my heart of stone. Give me a heart of flesh. Your living word will have full effect in me. As I surrender to the love of Christ, it consumes our selfish desires, our pride, and any impure motive that hinders us from fully experiencing the abundant life that he offers. His word, he... His word is mysterious in that as we read it and meditate upon it, we are changed. It's like the washing of the water of the word. I can't explain it. All I know is I'm different than I used to be. And how does that happen? You read the word, you ask him for your help, and all of a sudden you become, right? We become his children. So we need to not worry and stress about it. Just stay in his word because his word is settled in heaven. His word is so powerful. And we need to eat of it, and we need to walk in it. Jesus gave himself for us to present us to the Father, holy and without blemish, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Again, Ephesians 5. 
says that he's going to cleanse us with the washing of the water of the word. In Revelation 22:14 it says, blessed are those who blessed are those who wash their robes so that they will have the right of the tree of life and may enter into the city gates. That's pretty powerful. It's the blood of the lamb we are saved, but he wants us to yield to the refiner's process. We wash our robes by giving ourselves to the word, which is the truth, and it's his kingdom. It's his life that flows through us. His word is a powerful source to bring us from the beginning all the way to the end. And here it is fulfilled, fulfilled for us through the sacrifice blood of the lamb. Hebrews 10, 15 through 18 in the NLT says this, and the Holy Spirit testifies for this is so. He says, this is the new covenant that I will make with my people. On that day, says the Lord, I will give my laws, I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he said, I will never again remember their sins or their lawless deeds. What a promise. He promises to do that. We read, we eat his word, we spend time with him, and then he does this amazing miracle work within us, and he takes out the stony heart, the, the hard crust, the things that we were raised with, the defenses, the, the anger, whatever they are, the impurities, and, and he places his own life within us. He gives us a heart of flesh, one that, one that is compassionate, one that burns for him, one that cares for others. Only he can do that. We cannot do it on our own. And when the sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. It's complete by the blood of Jesus Christ. When we allow his word to remove every spot and wrinkle, we are returning to the Father's table. We are returning to his ways. We need to be in the Father's house and feasting at his table, the living word. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. But how do we taste and see? How do we taste of him? We chew on his word, and it becomes faith within us, giving us revelation of his goodness, of his love and his mercies. His word many times is related to bread, right? He's the bread of life, and we eat the bread of life. Luke 15 in the NLT says this. Um, we know the parable of the sower. We know, I'm not the sower, sorry, the prodigal. And we know that the prodigal just wanted everything his way, and he took the blessings, and he was really like the Israelites that just wanted the acts of God and not the ways of the Father, right? So I just want to go over this. I'm almost done, because this to me is really the heart of God and where we need to say. So we know the prodigal. We don't need to read that whole um, parable. But he took the blessings of his, of his inheritance, um, and he did his own thing. But the Father never cut him out. He never um, cut him out of his heart. He never was bitter. He was, never was angry. He was a father longing for his son. All through the word we read, if they would just turn back to me, if they would only return, it's all through the word, if they would just turn back to me, and he would never give up over and over and over again. He said, I would bless them. His covenant, his covenant toward us is forever. He will never stop searching for the lost. He'll never stop searching for the broken or the hurting. And those who don't understand, he's long-suffering with them, and he waits for them to understand, for them to choose him. Our Father in heaven has unmeasurable love and faith for us, and many times, many would say, stop looking for him to the Father looking for his son. 
I had a friend whose son left, and uh, she, they were not looking for him all the time. After a while, we get weary. We get tired. We give up on people, right? But it's not the father. How many times? Like, how far do you, you know, well, I've already gone 10 years with you. I can't go any further. That's really good, and it's admirable that we can go that long, but the father always goes longer. He's always going, go the extra mile. Go the extra mile, because that's who he is. He's always going the extra mile. Well, how many miles is that? He doesn't say. It's funny. He just says, he doesn't say go 10 miles. He just keeps saying go the extra mile. You get to the end one, and then you got to keep going. Keep going the extra mile, because that's the heart of the Father. And so the heart of the Father is immeasurable, and our and faith, um, un, immeasurable, unmeasurable, I don't know if that's the right word, love and faith for us. Uh, many, again, would say, why are you looking for him? Um, if <clears throat> the Father knows that he is in the refining fire being changed. See, that's the difference. The father knows that the wayward is in the refining fire. The father knows that the fuller soap is attacking them. You can't run from God. So he knows, okay, you've left, you've taken your inheritance, you're parting with your people, um, you're doing everything you know, that you shouldn't be doing, but I know that that won't last because sin only lasts for a season, only for a season. And then everything is removed, and all of a sudden you wake up and you go, what have I done? right? When you wake up and say, what have I done? The refiner is right there, burning in your heart, telling you not to be hard, telling you to come back. Say, don't harden your heart. This is a chance for you to come back. That's what he does. So when the father was looking for him and he left, he wasn't concerned. Our father has faith in us. He has faith in himself for us that we are going to come back. Their season will end and then I'm going to grab them and they're going to come back like a jewel and they're going to lead many to righteousness because of what they went through. That's a loving father. So he knows his son will reflect his glory one day. So that's why he kept going. He knew in faith. It wasn't hopelessness. He knew he was coming back. So after the money runs out, after the great famine comes, and he's living with the pigs, and he comes to his senses, it says in verse 17, when he finally came back to his senses, and I think we started in Luke 15, in verse 17, when he finally came back to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I am going to my father's house. I couldn't read that without it gripping me because that's what we have to understand. We need to understand that those that we're praying for our own lives, we did that. We went back to the father's house where there was an abundance of food. Not only did he know that he had to go back, some would say, well, of course he went back. He wanted, you know, he wanted, he needed to eat, but he had a revelation of the father. That's what I see in this. He had a revelation that in his father's house, there was an abundance. There was more than enough. I'll go home to my father, and I'll say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me in as a hired servant. See, that's how the enemy wants us to feel. You can go back, but you're going to be low. You're going to be, you know, you're not going to be where you were with God anymore. This is where you're going to stay. And he speaks to us. And he was willing to even to speak that to the Father. He wasn't concerned it was a lie, but he was repentive. He said, the fires, I've been through the fires. I've been through hell. I've been through the, the refiner's soap. I need, I just need life. I need to come back to your table. And in verse 20, it says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He saw him coming, and then, this is what it says, a perfect picture of what Moses saw in the Father. He was filled with love and compassion. 
love and compassion, the abundance of it. He ran to his son, he embraced him, he kissed him, and his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you, both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But what happened was he had instant restoration. There was no, we're going to read the next verse. He didn't have to have a, a talk of what he did wrong. He didn't say, well, come over here and let me reprimand you for a day and, or an hour and put you in time out, right? He instantly, his father said to his servants, this is what he said, instantly. No condemnation, only love. He didn't belittle him. God Almighty is love. It's beyond our comprehension. He saw the silver in him. He saw the purification. He saw that it was real. And the father said to his servants, I love this. I think it's in the NLT, uses this word, quick. I love that it says quick. I looked in other versions, but it really applies to that. The father didn't hesitate. He says, quick, bring the finest robe of the house and put it on him. Get a ring, put it on his finger and sandals on his feet and kill the calf. We have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son. This son of mine was dead and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So let the party begin, right? And the, the whole house began to celebrate, except for the brother. We won't go into that. But it's a perfect picture of God's compassion and God's love. That's why I wanted to end with this, because he is a God of mercy, he is a God of compassion. We need to see him like that. We can't fall for the lies of the enemy and say, oh, I messed up, or I didn't fast enough, I didn't pray today, I went two days and I didn't, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't do this, or I didn't do that, right? The enemy's really good with that. You're hard on yourself, or you're, you're mean to somebody else, and, and you have all these things, but when we turn to the Father, we come back to his table, where the food is, where there, where there is life, it's instant, it's quick. And not only did he sit him down and respond to him quickly, he gave him back all his authority. It said when he came to his senses, he ran back to the father's table. He ran back to the father's house. So many of the Lord's people have wondered, wandered, sorry, from the father because of life's circumstances. They carry the weight of the pressures from the world. They have sickness, they have fears, they have arguments and worries and doubts and unrest. But instead of staying at his table, they try everything else in their own strength and power. It's only in his house, at his table, that we have peace and that we can receive his nutrition. The faith finally returns, the anointing returns, the revelation of his abundance is seen. We come to our senses and run home, we run to the Father's house. Because when he came back to the house, he gave him sandals for his feet, he gave him the ring of authority that belonged to him. He gave him everything back, he lost nothing. The enemy's a liar. You don't come back and lose anything. You come back and you gain everything and then you gain a voice to speak to others and you say to them, this is our call, we need to be saying to somebody else, come to my Father's table, you need to come to the house. I don't think that you could have, you could have had a stranger come in and listen to that worship and the power of God could not touch their heart. They might walk out not having understanding, that's fine, but they're going to have something stir inside of them. His word is, faith is going to be deposited inside of them. That's what the Father's house does. That's what happens when we come to his table alone and that's what happens when we come to his table corporately. We need to get, we need to melt the hardness of our heart and get into that place where we can be refreshed and we can be saturated with his power his goodness and his love. So whenever we find ourselves, the answer is always at the Father's table, to eat of his bread and drink from his cup. The washing of the water of the word, his word is found as we read his word. As we read it and we let his ways be imprinted in our hearts and minds, it's at that place that we are sitting at his table. 
The love and mercies of the Lord Jesus Christ is beyond human comprehension or understanding. In the parable of the prodigal, the father came quick. Quick, he said, give me the robe. He gave him a robe of righteousness. He was no longer in sinner's rags. He was wearing now the robe of righteousness covered in the blood of Jesus. Put the ring of my authority back on his finger. When he gives a command, you need to follow it. This is my son. He says, quick, get the sandals for his feet. His walk will be filled with the covenant of peace, right? Let your feet be shod with the preparation of the, of the, of the covenant of peace, right? That's part of the armor. He gives his, his sandals back to him. His walk will be different. It will be filled with peace. His walk will be after him. And then he fed him meat, what I love. He didn't give him milk to start all over, right? Like, what does Paul say? You're still drinking milk. You should be having meat by this time, right? You need the nutrients of it. There needs to be something solid. Even if you're a vegetarian, you need to hear this word because the truth is we need the meat of his word. We need to understand, forget the milk. You're not coming back and starting all over. That's what he was saying to him. He said, feed him meat and a fattened calf. Celebrate because I will remember your sin no more for my son has come home. How powerful. We have come home, right? And so watch out for the, you know, the older son. That's a whole nother message. Don't take it on. Don't listen to it. Somebody else is upset with you. Somebody else doesn't, you know, understand your walk. Don't even listen to it. You are a son or a daughter and you have come home. His covenant plan for his children will come to pass. We will, we will be refined and we will um, reflect his glory. We will be a voice crying in the wilderness for others to come to his table. We will follow his ways and we will meditate on his word and be found in faith, pleasing him and enjoying his goodness, mercies, and love. His covenant has been established over us. We must believe his word. Our opinions and feelings, arguments, sickness, brokenness, whatever you're going through, nothing can stop the declaration of his word over your life. Doesn't matter what your circumstances are. He, his will is going to happen in your families. It's going to happen. We don't know when. It doesn't matter. But his word is established in heaven and nothing can stop it. The only thing that can stop it is I say, I just don't believe that anymore and turn away. Now he'll put it on hold until he brings us back. But we need to believe. We need to believe his word is established in heaven. Our children's children. Oh, he says, know his ways. We need to know his ways again like Moses. That he is a God of compassion of mercies. He's slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. He lavishes unfailing love to a thousand generations. He forgives iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Our children's children, just think about this, times 1,000. Times 1,000. We're following the Lord. He takes our children, our children's children, children, the generations times a thousand will benefit because we chose to follow his way. We chose to sit at his table. We chose his word to be established in us. We chose not his acts, but we chose his ways. It will bless our families through the generations. And don't, you'll find out when we get there how much. We'll find out when we get there who did that for us, right? I can't wait to meet them. So, in ending, yield to the refining process. Yield to the refining process where the transformational work of Christ will purify our lives and reflect more of his likeness as the hindrances and impurities are removed. Then run to the Father's house, run to his table, drinking from his cup, and you're instantly in his presence, eating his bread. There's food in his house that we are made full, and it never runs out. Stay in faith, always believing that he's able to do anything at any time for anyone, for he is a God of promise, and his will, which is good, will be done. His will is good, no matter what you're going through. His will is good. So we're going to stand and sing what we declared earlier, 
because I believe as we stand and sing and declare, we are stopping the voice of the enemy as we say, your word is established in heaven. You pray for your own life, pray for your own family, and continue to declare that because it stops the voice of the enemy. It stops his plans to destroy. We declare it in faith that what we read in Hebrews, that he is a rewarder for those who seek him. So as we declare to him, he is going to reward us with his presence, with that hidden manna that we find at the master's, at the master's table. Right? Evelyn turned to me this morning and she said, are you going to speak about the master's table? She goes, I just heard that in worship. How powerful is our God? He confirms and he touches. So we are going to do that as his children. We honor him as our father. We are so thankful. Lord, we are so thankful for all you've done. And we are going to stand and declare that your word is settled in heaven. We are not going to be like those who, who don't believe. We are not going to harden our heart. But we are going to declare to you, your sons and your daughters, that we are, Father God, and it will be done. We will be instantly changed in your presence forever. Amen.